0: Everyone, it's Judy Warner. Welcome back to this week's Ecosystem Podcast. I'm encouraged and excited to introduce you to CEO, entrepreneur, and Silicon Valley startup Duncan Haldane of Jetex. He and two of his Berkeley alums started this company with a grand vision of disrupting hardware development through software. It takes all the intelligence, the wisdom of top engineers, and actually bakes it into software code and gives you so much more flexibility than you've had in the past. No more bad auto routers. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and be sure you go check out the show notes and check out JetX. I'm really excited about this startup and I hope you will be too. And also remember to go sign up for the ecosystem. I've got a newsletter coming up and I don't want you to miss it at the thedoubleecosystem.com. Hi, Duncan. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and learning more about Jetix.
1: Hi, Judy. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well, before we get off and going deep in the weeds, can you tell um, tell our audience a little bit about your educational and professional background?
1: Sure. So my most recent education was I was a robotics uh, PhD student at the University of California, Berkeley. And then as professionally there, I was doing paid research. Uh, so building robotic platforms to test new ideas about how we can take inspiration from nature. So how does this, how do well, why does this monkey jump so well? <laughs> that was a question that I asked and What can we learn about that for uh, to make better jumping robots? Uh, right. From there, I uh, transitioned right into JITx. So I met my co-founders at Berkeley and we, we started work right away.
0: So tell us about the relationships with your founders and, and what led you to go from jumping monkeys to, to JEDEX. <laughs> well, go ahead and answer that question, but then we have to fill in our listeners what JEDEX actually does, but go ahead.
1: Sure. Yeah. So to set the, the context, JEDEX is a way to design circuit boards by writing code instead of taking the usual graphical approach where you're drawing a schematic and Googling for parts and building spreadsheets. So it's just, how do we take hardware engineering and and put it more into a code discipline similar to designing a chip or programming an FPGA? So that's, that's the high level. And I got there based on my experience as a roboticist. So robots are complicated to design and they're really hard to design if you don't want to be like broken all the time. Um, and so I found that like that was one of the hardest parts of my job, right? Like I could do the science, I could study nature and write down this like little sketch of an idea on a napkin. And then I spent all my time as a hardware engineer to build this robot. So it's robust enough so I can do like repeatable scientific experiments, which is Mm -hmm. a pretty high bar. And so we invented new way to design things like new optimization methods to search for robotic mechanisms. And I found that really rewarding. And then I took a class from someone who's now my co-founder in actually in the architecture department. So I was so desperate oh. to automate my hardware engineering work that I was like, I gotta find people automating hardware. And this guy was teaching a class in he's computer science, but he was teaching in the architecture department. And architecture is in buildings, not as in computer architecture. Right. right. Uh, and it was about automated design. And how do you take a hardware oh. engineering process, no matter what, really, like, and turn it into software so that new designs, you you basically just change some parameters and hit run, and you get everything, like all of your manufacturing files out the other side. And he'd been doing this for like 20 years at that point with at MIT, at other lab. And so that's Jonathan Bachrock, who was an assistant professor at the time, but is now a, one of the co-founders. Um, and then Patrick, our other co-founder, was his student at the time. And we all just okay. liked working together. We says so like, Automating hardware engineering is probably the most impact we could ever have on the world. Yeah. We, really, we really liked working with each other. So that we decided to to spin out JITX.
0: Okay. So I've been around hardware engineers and board designers for all of my adult life. Mm-hmm. And they always say, you know, I've never met an auto router that doesn't suck. Or <laughs> why do they why how can we do such great um Rendering, say in in uh, building buildings or building semiconductors, and then we're still dragging traces around. Yeah. <laughs> now 3D. When 3D came, that was a, a massive innovation. So I think hmm. I want to start with that. Like,
1: yeah, why right. is
0: it? Why has it stayed the way it is in your mind? And and how do you imagine solving that problem?
1: That's a really great question. Um, so I think why is it the way it is? I, th- I think you can look at the history of the industry, right So 9- 1984, uh, chips got pretty complicated and they found that, hey, you could design more complicated circuits if you put down the schematic drawing tools and write code instead and synopsis is like you know, we're, we're gonna start designing right. your chip for you. We're gonna have we have this thing called synthesis and synthesis gives you correctness and optimization and that's just like, when you get those things, you can design better hardware. Um, but that didn't happen for circuit boards at the time. Even though I think the company started at the time, you had like AutoTracks back then right. with NX, right? And That's I think right. that through a series of acquisitions is now in Altium, right? It was like Proton right. and, and it was Altium. Yeah. Um, but boards in the 80s were pretty simple, relatively simple, right? And the, like the people were. did heroics in the 80s to design circuit boards and Mac computers that actually worked. Um, yeah, yeah but it doesn't look like what we have today, right? Uh -uh. So 2008, things got weird. You have have like the iPhone, right? So now it's got, it's not this kind of big square thing. It's super compact and it has to last a really long time on the battery and it's got three radios. And that, it doesn't look like the same design, but you're still using the same tools because all the tool companies grew up back then. You know, they they figured out the product that was useful. It worked for the technology of the time. And then it it got pretty well locked in. Mm -hmm. But today things are much more complicated and the labor is different and the way we design stuff is different so but that's why it is the way it is today one of the big reasons I see um, but that's that I think that's a little less interesting than talking about why auto routers suck so much
0: <laughs> Yeah so let's yeah. talk about that
1: <laughs> So I think so people definitely use auto routers and I'll tell you today yeah. some very large hardware designers are making their tool choices based on how good the auto router is. Uh, So because there's a massive labor shortage, the people that laid out their boards are retiring and they're not being replaced. So there's a need for automation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the one reason auto routers are bad is like there's, there's two, I think primary ones. One, they don't have enough information to do a good job. Mm. Right. They don't, unless you spend a lot of time typing in constraints, they don't know what your design is or what Mm -hmm. you're trying to do or about the new material you're using. Or what yeah. a good design even looks like. They, what do they track? Is it connected? Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> How many views did I use? I was like, that's that's a start, but it's not like there's a reason mm-hmm. people to route their sensitive traces by hand and artistically right. instead of throwing it to the right. throwing it to the auto router. Right. Um, so there's this like huge bottleneck in just entering data that makes auto routers work. That's so high mm. that it's not productive anymore. Hmm. Right.
0: That makes perfect so, sense to me.
1: That's a big one. Uh, And another one is, I think the way routers work does not fit with a realistic place and route flow. Because imagine that an auto router worked perfectly. What do you do? It's like, oh, well, I will drag every component I have to its perfect position on the board. And I don't need to swap any pins. And I don't need to move anything. I'm just going to exactly position everything and then hit route. And then it's going to do the traces. Mm -hmm. And nobody designs that way. Yeah. it's like 90% of routing is placement right? right so I think to do a good job with an auto router you have to solve the information problem so you actually know what you're doing and then you have to like really embrace the human as part of the auto router loop rather than like the auto router is a piece of software that you run
0: mm. And so that's really like again with looking at a model like with a synopsis or whatever and you saw this can be, solved with code so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: we're going to talk about a few different things around that but my first question is you know on the back of what you just said about auto routers how once once you finish say finish (laughs) jetix all of the development all the vision that you all have as co-owners how what what is that experience going to be like what is what do you imagine will be the design, or mm. how will it perform for a person that is taking that on?
1: Right, right. So when we accomplish what we set out to build, what is the impact for the person using that software? What are we yeah. delivering for the designer, right? Right. I th- the biggest thing, I think, I'll, I'll know success when like, the vast majority of designers can design better hardware with JITx than without it. Like that's, that's the bar for success in mm. my mind, right? It should be a tool for helping people be more ambitious, right? To mm. have like, cause hardware is so risky right now cause there's no time anymore to make mistakes. So one thing we do is like scrub designs automatically for mistakes. So you take a schematic review and you automate it and you run it on every single time you run your code. So it, it catches the issues that you'd only catch later by having an expert read your schematics. You, you try mm. to take some of the risk out of that design process. So users mm-hmm. can focus on exploring, so people can focus on yeah. optimization, so they can try out new ideas, so that evaluating that next generation radar chip is something you could do today instead of like the eighth thing on your backlog once you clear all of this work that's on your plate because the the rocket needs to go or the car needs to drive. Like there's there's so much pressure put on designers today. Um, what I so, really yeah. want, yeah.
0: I heard you, I heard a a bit of that earlier in your conversation when you said robotics is so much fun, and then I had to make hardware. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's like you go in, a lot of engineers I've known are passionate about engineering and making engineering, doing those things, and then they get caught up with schematics and component shortages and things going out of stock and somebody waiting to review the design and and you get you spend a vast majority of your time doing that do you think jetx will be able to in some way free up the engineer to do actual engineering
1: yeah i mean and i don't want to knock that work that is engineering that's a human experience of engineering it is but yeah that we're, we're we're attacking that today right off the bat like we want the first goal is like just make people really productive right and when you Mm -hmm. look at like what does it take to move fast it's like well you got to create designs quickly that are free from errors and that's our north star is just like the fastest way to make a board and to make a board there is a human engineering organization around it and interacting with that is also engineering right it's not maybe their favorite part of their job but it's hard and it's not something people can just kind of walk into
0: Mm -mm.
1: right and yeah so we're you know, we, we do things like, all right, here's your power regulator circuit. Now you can make it parametric. So you just say what you want the startup time to be and the output voltage to be. And then the calculations that are in the spreadsheet, that's just code and you run it and it's gonna find your passive values. And then, oh, it's gonna go source from your preferred inventories, like which exact parts to use. And then it's gonna put those in the design and run a schematic review. And that's what it takes to like productively automate something because if Mm -hmm. you just do part of it it's just like well here's your circuit design but you can't buy the parts and i don't know if it's right like that's that's not productive
0: yeah i was just talking to a i just did a podcast with someone from keysight and he Mm. said hope cannot be part of the design process Oh
1: man, right (laughs) but it's always there i know it's like i think
0: i got it mostly right
1: yeah and or it's like yeah i uh, you know i gave my expert engineers this 200 item checklist and I asked them to read these 80 pages of schematic sheets and find all the issues and they said they did that thing and it's definitely better than having them not check it but that's not a thing that humans enjoy doing or are especially good at like i don't as a super senior expert i don't want to spend my time reading all the schematics or working on one right. project at a time, like. You find this industry is driven by those people, by the gurus. And sometimes they have a capital G when they introduce themselves in guru, but they still work on one project at a time. Right. Right. And some of them are kind of sick of that.
0: (laughs) Most that I talk to are definitely sick of it. (laughs) So how far along are you with JetX right now and realizing some of those North Star and things that you're aspiring to as a company and a tool?
1: Yeah, so we launched uh, general availability September of last year. Mm. And um, we have now just, and that, when we launched at the time, it was a sort of partially automated tool. You know, you do your high level requirements in code all the way through component selection and uh, design checks. So you actually know that your schematic is going to work. And then just uh, recently, we, we've launched our routing tool. So now this is like another way to optimize your design. So it, it, it has this new capability to help optimize, which is it you can do your pin swaps interactively. So you don't have to like read your PDF and then look at your layout and then like figure out where in your schematic you can change the pins to make things more routable. Mm. Um, and so, mm. yeah, we've just shipped that as a... Oh, <laughs> it just feels so good. So like the... Uh, the part where it's like, it does your schematic and then, you know, you export over to Altium and it finish your layout. And that was, that was fine. It was productive, but it, it didn't have like that, that magic feeling. But now when we bring in the, the routing algorithms that are helping optimize the entire design, mm-hmm. uh, it I'm just, I'm really happy with what, how it feels. Honestly, it's, it's, like, it's hard to characterize. It's like
0: your, your, your firstborn child or maybe your second. I don't know. Something like that. It's very satisfying. <laughs> so, Duncan, you mentioned you launched in September. How far along are you in the development and building out the full vision that you and your co-founders have for JetX?
1: Oh, great question. And full vision might take a while because JetX means just in time everything. So this idea uh-huh. of like software for hardware is not just for circuit boards. And we, we've got some advanced projects Ooh. pushing that further already. Uh, but yeah, focusing on the circuit board aspect, okay. when we launched in September, it was a partially automated tool. So you go from like requirements level input in terms of code. And then the output is like a detailed schematic. It does your supply chain optimization and it checks it for errors, right? So you know that when you lay the schematic out, you're not going to have any Circuit problems. And that was productive, but it wasn't, you know, transformative, right? And so, what right. we launched just recently is a new routing tool to go along with it. And we built this to help people optimize their designs. So, the new part about the router is like it's 2023 and we built a router. Uh, why, <laughs> right? Is a, a good question to ask. And it's Is that a router get...
0: that people don't hate?
1: I that's think the that's idea. why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like to have. Automatically created routes that are just like a pleasure to interact with is, a, I think, nice. a brand new experience. Um, and we, but we built it to help people optimize their designs. So, it does things like helps you swap connections. You know, when you're, say, fanning out a FPGA or even just a microcontroller, you have some freedom in how you assign the pins to make it more routable. And right mm. now, people got to read the data sheet and then edit the schematic and then look at the router and then like try to coordinate across these like three pieces of things to be able to swap pins and, you know, save money by routing on fewer layers or get better better signal integrity. Mm-hmm. And we built a router that lets you just do that in place. So you can solve nice. that pin assignment problem with the router, which is kind of the actual form of the, the problem. Like I want a component and I want a process which gives me fewer layers and high signal integrity. And we built like a router to solve that problem and it just feels different to use. Um, so that's been great. And you know, we've also had some really great projects with customers so far, kind of working with people across the scale from like small robotics startups to very large enterprises uh, mm-hmm. to show that like, yeah, this is the technology can solve some valuable problems.
0: So what has been the feedback so far and what have you learned along the way?
1: Ooh. I think you learn a lot at a startup. Um, here, The feedback is that this is very powerful, right? You get a lot mm. out of the design reuse aspect. You know, the fact that you can take design reusability and move it past kind of copy pasting schematic sheets together, mm-hmm. or kind of have like a block utility in your CAD tool, but mm-hmm. really being able to meaningfully reuse your engineering work is the highest impact thing. Uh, and you know, we're, we're just directly guided from feedback. Like I spent all the time talking to customers and like expert electrical engineers and like figuring out where the problems are. Um, and the other thing I've seen is that this is going, this is like increasingly helpful because you're seeing kind of roles kind of starting to merge together. So it used to be that like designers at a large enterprise would like write down an architecture and then hand it to someone else and they would like, that person would draw the schematic. Yeah. Then they would hand it to someone else and that person would do the layout. Mm-hmm. And those are like, those threads are coming back together. One, mm-hmm. because like systems are more complicated and when your tool doesn't really help you collaborate, then it makes sense for like one person to do more of that. Right. Uh, but there's also like, it's harder to hire those experts these days. Mm-hmm. So the feedback I get is just like, more and more and more automation. And that's that's to the to that
0: I, I heard that um, I ran into someone, an uh, engineer from Northrop Grumman recently, mm. and just, this is anecdotal, I, I haven't researched it, but he said that they were looking to hire something like 12,000 engineers this year. Yep. Uh, like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, yeah. so the the shortage of engineering talent, like competent, capable. So I think EDA tools like yours you know helping to realize that is going to be because like you said we're losing all that tribal knowledge of the gurus and uh, this sounds like a a, a super relevant thing which is why i wanted to talk to you so so you you got the fundamentals down you got the router. you're you're getting customer feedback and learning along the way what things are sort of along your roadmap that you're looking forward to, or um, yeah. after you sort of have this baby weaned, what what do you uh, <laughs> what do you want to tackle next?
1: So our roadmap looks like continuing to ramp up the complexity of designs you can automate, right? So how mm. fast can you create the design, and how close can you get to designing like a data center board? Because if you talk to large companies, that's where they're that's where their concerns are, right? You can yeah. offer to help them with like, oh, well, like the kind of the lower end or the simpler stuff, but that that sort of high complexity area mm-hmm. is, is really the important thing. Um, so yeah, what, what's coming up next is like, I talked about that router as like a pin assignment optimization tool.
0: So mm-hmm.
1: combining into that, we're gonna start having advanced via types because, mm. you know, a lot of people these days are spending all their time like fanning out chip scale packages with micro vias. Like yep. it's, it's taking a lot of time. And then you still have to do that like pin assignment optimization is like, okay, so what vias and what routes and how am I gonna fit them to get the best signal integrity and to make this like routable so I don't need like any layer vias which you see in some miniaturized yes. devices. Mm-hmm. It's, whew, that's expensive. <laughs> it's expensive
0: and back drilling and and exactly. the layer counts are crazy.
1: Yep. Yep. And it's easy to get yourself in a bind, especially if your yeah. design and your layout is not especially flexible.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So the next step is like take this router and then like turn it up to 11. So you can start searching across materials and stackups mm. and via strategies and figuring out what it takes to realize your design in a miniaturized form factor without, you know, taking 12 months to design it or without, breaking the bank on bad yields and super expensive yeah. processes.
0: Yes. Or spinning it five times or whatever that ends up looking like. Yeah, Yields honestly, are a big problem, right?
1: That's right, yeah. And it turns out that automated checking can help a lot with that. You know, if you do it thoroughly and you're trying to fix like a 1% failure rate, it you have to make a lot of boards at the factory to find a 1% failure rate right? Oh yeah, you do. Yeah. But if you just like apply the same knowledge that experts have, like that one guy that knows how to do iPhone stackups and apply that to every product, you can do so much better.
0: That's amazing. So you've talked about software code. Is Mm. there any um, application of like AI here or machine learning? And forgive me if I'm asking softball questions. I'm just not sure since I'm not, explicitly familiar with software, like mm. how, how that piece might, or might not fit in.
1: Sure. Yeah. And the software side, we keep pretty simple. So most of our users have written some scripts to write in Python or MATLAB to process data okay. or on some tests. So the, one of the main things we got working first is like, we need a simple language that can automate expert electrical engineering. And that was really hard to do, but the language itself came out pretty simple. So you, you kind of write scripts that it, it reads like requirements. Like this okay. design needs an FPGA. It's going to operate in this aerospace environment. I want built-in Ceph test to work. Stuff like that, and mm-hmm. then that gets turned into a your detailed design. Mm-hmm. And to do that, yeah, we lose a lot of AI methods, uh, okay. and those work as solvers. Behind the scenes of like, you just write more powerful code that way. When you say like, right. I can figure out what resistors to use or what circuits to use to fulfill this goal, then the user gets to operate at a higher level and the code they write just gets more reuse. So AI in the classic sense is to serve that goal. And we also have um, kind of modern growth of uh, large language models like ChatGPT. Those are, Mm. we've tested those. They're pretty lousy at designing circuits and Mm. our customers are professionals. Like they don't necessarily need the help to design a load switch. Right, Um, But instead there's like a lot of human structured data that they interact with. So you can, Mm. you can start building automation into softer things like pulling meaningful things out of data sheets, that kind of, that kind of thing.
0: Data sheets. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to go down that road, but can you make the data sheets honest? (laughs) What do you do about that issue? Because I've talked to a lot of engineers that say they don't really trust the models as is. Unless Absolutely they're putting correct. test coupons on their boards or whatever to measure yeah. real-world data.
1: Yeah. As a well, as a Northrop engineer explained to me, data sheets are like glossy marketing brochures. <laughs> and, and That's
0: a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah.
1: To a lesser extent, like a limited liability guarantee. So you know, your min-max ranges are not going to be <clears throat> representative, but you can't go complain about it later. So, yeah. yeah, I
0: had someone from a large semiconductor company when I asked him. I mean, he's saying our data sheets are not good. Mm. And I'm like, why? And he goes, "We've got lawyers." <laughs> like, yeah. So that's it. What you you're just confirming to me what he said, is it's like, yeah, you can't sue us later.
1: Right. So, so yeah, and it's not about the designer, is it? No. And some and some companies do great, and they should be. Praised for their data sheets because they really invest in it. Uh-huh. Um, Agreed. But yeah, no, This that's one thing i learned when coming to this industry, is that there's actually a huge data problem. And it, yeah. it's kind of stuck in this nasty place where there's no simulation models because very few people simulate. And so there's no simulation models, right? Even though the data's there, like the, yeah. the flows to make it really valuable for the user are, are kind of broken. So that's something we yeah. do a lot, we, we get data, we, we enrich it, we make sure it's correct, because now we can use it in an okay. automated way. And my goal for data sheets is like, I just wanna work with the semiconductor company directly because they have that expert, they have that guru that knows mm-hmm. how to get the most. If you wanna like optimize the load transient of this buck converter, they got a guy, but it's only one guy. And they usually put him on like the largest customer for like three months at a time, because he's yeah. a, he's a designer like everyone else. Right. So my goal is like there is no reason that they we can't turn that person's work also into code. So this chip maker can help just automate application engineering and say like, you know, the best of how we know how to implement this chip can be run on any every single board and we don't have to be there to do it. Because the reputation right now is is pretty lousy. Like customers don't necessarily yes. reach out for help because they're not used to getting a support person they're used to getting like the sales engineer who then maybe (laughs) can connect you to the guy that like designed the right the package for this complex processor and knows exactly all the tricks to make it fully routable and get good performance but you can never talk to that person because that doesn't scale because it's exactly at a time so change that right so you're
0: building that scalability into the
1: code basically that's right yeah and code you just get that for free right so like code, you just run it and it does the thing and it does a complex thing. The hard thing is like get hardware engineering into code. And from there, right. you know, once it's code, this is a very normal thing.
0: Yeah. It's something I've been talking about a lot, especially after my my uh, tenure at, at Altium is there's been this continuing conversation about how software can disrupt hardware development. Hmm. Different people are coming at it different ways, but what you've done here is very compelling and I'm really excited to see where you guys go next. Um, What would you say was the greatest obstacles to Mm. getting Jetix out to users?
1: Yeah, great question. So our customers are professionals, right? And what they're doing is hard and complicated and they need productivity tools, which means they're also very busy yeah so i think the biggest challenge is like how do you get people into valuable automation quickly and also Mm -hmm. help them self-serve into that which is an even higher bar because you know that i think most people in the industry are incredibly good at teaching themselves because they had to teach themselves and the person the people that could make it in this industry are able to teach themselves and they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to have a success call with Mm a with a salesperson, right? They want to be able to say like, give me the tool, give me the materials, I'm going to figure out how to do this myself. Right. And this is a new thing, solving a complex problem. And they have to self like self-champion into it. Mhm. And that that's been tricky. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I understand what you're saying and finding those people who will sort of collaborate with you and come along for the journey when they're already so busy. These people are very, very hard to find. And even if they wanted to, usually they're too busy. So I can see why that could be an obstacle and, but it sounds like you're making your way through um, yeah. with the with the champions that you have, but. That's right, um, and
1: I think I think there's actually a lot of those people, like the, for anyone that's touched an FPGA, for example. Yeah. They understand that, hey, maybe hardware should be coded because they never go back to using schematics to program an FPGA yeah. but they're busy and it's very time specific so like they have maybe mm. maybe three four days of the like a three to six month period but they're like I, I'm gonna look up I'm gonna pick my head up from the desk look around for new tools because I need a new way out of this yeah but you well, just gotta be able to yeah <laughs> make that connection
0: well that's why we wanted to have you here so we could spread the word and Hopefully, we'll create a way for people to reach out to you if they're interested. Um, in the context of where you are and where you're going, when you look kind of across the industry and the outlook, what are your observations for future trends? And and sort of where will where hmm. do you see JetX fitting within that roadmap as far as future trends go?
1: Yeah, so the trends I see in hardware is that, well, it's getting harder, Right. We have smaller, faster chips, new manufacturing technologies, and new and continuous goals to like make a more complex system with less time. Um, and that's made things harder because you kind of had previously separate domains like power integrity and signal integrity and materials choice, and then like system design. And now those are like merged into one big thing that also yeah. includes like thermal simulation and the tools to address that are still separate, right? You have, if you're gonna do that optimization or checking or simulation, there's like an expert that drives a simulation tool and you like send them PowerPoints and he sends you PowerPoints back. Yeah, that's a hard way to co-optimize something. So I see that as just a trend that's never gonna stop because you you just keep getting better products out of it, the better you can do it, but it's challenging. Um, And yeah, I think there's a lot of tailwinds behind the electrical engineering now, right? You mm-hmm. got senators going around to chip factories to get their pictures taken. Like that's right. wild. <laughs> that is not it's wild. Before.
0: Can you believe we made it to front yeah. page news in this industry? The component
1: shortage was in like headline news for. I know. Months. There's I know. always been a component shortage. <laughs> it's never been that bad, but like it, it's very front and center because people realize how important hardware is. Uh, Indeed. But at the same time, you don't have enough people, right? There's, you can see the graphs of electrical engineers versus computer science students. And Mm -hmm. I think a large part of that is like, how do you get them attached and excited about the industry? And I'm happy that like, I think code is a great way to do that because in school, they just kind of assume it's already like this before they learn about (laughs) hardware design tools. It's like, oh, of course I can like script and automate this out. It's 2023.
0: I know. (sighs) And then they get here and they're like, what's this? 80s tool i'm using and i'm like yeah Yeah. sorry
1: (laughs) or they or they just bounce before they make it
0: and they've been gaming their whole lives you know and it's like what is this (laughs) um and you know for very complex electronics you know i'm being obviously tongue-in-cheek but young engineers have talked to me about that like what the heck and i'm like i don't know and part of it has been because well. particularly, yeah, in the university, the the detachment between the university and industry is, mm. that's a problem, I think, as an industry, we need to solve. And along those lines, do you, are you working at all with universities like Berkeley, like your alma mater, to to bring them along this journey with yeah, you?
1: Absolutely. Um, so we, we engage, we have a, we set up a university program recently, and so we're like, going to be continuously growing that out. We just provide free access to the technology because like it, it solves the problem I had like as a grad student at Berkeley. But then, oh, this is actually a national problem. And we've got professors that want to use JDX to teach their classes because it's like a much more approachable way to learn about hardware mm-hmm. because you can take all the knowledge and put it in code. And mm-hmm. to know if your circuit works, you like get the compiler to not have any errors. And that's just like a right. much more scalable way to learn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, we've had so much, it feels good to, to get that interest from universities and be able to contribute back to that. And this next generation of engineers is going to be amazing. Like the students are amazing in what they can do.
0: Oh, I but know. I'm with you. My they... favorite part at Altium was working with students because mm. they are amazing. Yeah. You know, all that gaming and playing with software since they were one, right. you know, or whatever, they are so bright and so capable. So we just mm-hmm. got to give them those tools like JetX so they can yeah. go crazy. It's wonderful.
1: <laughs> yeah. I hope we can build a better bridge.
0: I think so. Well, Duncan, I know we're about out of time, but thank you so much. I hope you will come back as you keep improving this tool and, and share with our audience all the progress you're making. Um, is there anywhere you'd like our listeners to go b- besides your website to learn more about JetX or to get a demo, or what, what would you recommend for people wanting to learn more about jedX
1: So our website, uh, JITX.com, is probably the best way to see the product, maybe get a demo. They're also free to email me directly. Uh, like I'm always very interested in hearing all sorts of feedback. So they can reach me at d.haldane at JetX.com, and maybe we can put that in the episode description.
0: We definitely will. Well, again, Duncan, wish you all the luck. It sounds like a you're really making some some good progress in the area that's long overdue. So thank you so much for for coming and sharing your journey with us. And best of luck to you in Jetix. And please come back and and uh, give us updates.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Judy. This is a great conversation.
0: Thank you so much. To our listeners, I will make sure and put those links for you below in the show notes or in the description. So go on over to Jedex.com and take a look or reach out to Duncan if you're one of those people that want wants to help them go along the journey with them and and help sort of co-develop this tool, I'm sure he'd be thrilled to hear mm-hmm. from you. So Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. We'll see you next week. Until then, remember to always stay connected to the ecosystem.